Good morning, church. This morning I will be reading from the New King's Bible, and I'll start with Hebrews 11, 29, and go through 11, verse 40. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when he had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mocking and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in desert and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here this morning in your presence. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the faith of those who went before us. I would pray, Father, that you would instill us, instill each of us with that faith. We thank you for the hope that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would be with Jackie this morning as he brings us the word. Pray that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would receive his word this morning. And we give you the praise and the glory and honor in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You know, Scripture tells us that uh, if we want to be worshipers of God, then we need to worship Him two specific ways. You know what those are? Spirit. Look how smart you guys are getting. We need to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so the truth matters, right? The truth matters. And so we want to be able to understand and comprehend the truth. And sometimes uh, people have a a weird uh, idea of faith and what faith accomplishes and what faith doesn't accomplish. And hopefully this morning we can uh, just get down to the truth. Most of the time we come on Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is about the triumphal entry. It's about Jesus coming in and being proclaimed as Messiah. It's about the fickleness of the people. Because the people on one day are proclaiming him Messiah, the Christ. 
the coming one, the promise, and a few days later they're shouting, crucify him. It's about this comprehension sometimes we have, struggling with the idea of the blindness of the people in terms of her Messiah, but we want to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So let's work on that. Let's understand. Let's comprehend what was going on. What was the real purpose of the Lamb? It wasn't to be received by the masses. It wasn't to be crowned king. Not yet. The purpose of the Lamb when Jesus walked into the city, the purpose of the Lamb was to die. And sometimes we forget that. We get caught up in the homiletics, fancy word for how it preaches, how it comes across, how we can excite people. But the reality is when Jesus came in, it's not like he was shocked. What was he coming there to do? The Bible says he said his, his heart is flint going toward Jerusalem. I'm coming. I'm moving. Why? Because he had, he had already recognized and realized the purpose for which he was there, right? Not to be crowned king, but to be the Lamb of God as John the Baptist proclaimed him to be. That's why when Jesus is coming into the city in Luke chapter 19, we can read about it. Luke 19, 41 and 42, it says, When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept. He looked at the city and he saw the future. He saw all the things that were going to happen, the very... Some of the very voices that were proclaiming his greatness and how those things were going to turn. He saw further into the destruction of the city. He saw into the suffering and the pain that sin brings into life. And so the scripture tells us he wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for your peace. The part I want you to see is the next phrase. But they are hidden from your eyes. You know that when Jesus came, he came proclaiming, but he spoke in riddles. Yes? And when asked, Lord, why are you speaking in riddles? Well, that's the same word for parable. Why are you speaking this way? Why are you speaking in parables? Why are you speaking in riddles? He said, so eyes don't see. So ears don't hear. Why? I have not come as king. How have I come? As the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Paul would write, if the rulers of this world had known what was going on, they would not have sacrificed or crucified the Lord of glory. But they did. Because that was God's purpose. To save us. To do a work of salvation that people wouldn't believe. Habakkuk said it this way. The Lord told Habakkuk, if I tell you everything I'm doing, you wouldn't believe it. That's a paraphrase, by the way, but you get the idea, right? You wouldn't believe what I'm doing. You wouldn't believe how I'm moving. You wouldn't believe what's being accomplished. So I want you to see, they're blind. Why are they blind? Because God blinded them. They're deaf. Why are they deaf? Because God made them deaf. For what purpose? A redemptive purpose. What redemptive purpose? That the Lamb of God would die and take away the sin of the world, right? 
In 1 John 2, 2, it says, He, Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. So that word propitiation, big word, means substitute sacrifice for. He's the substitute sacrifice for our sins. Yours or mine? Only ours? What's the next verse? Or next part of the verse? It says, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So God so loved what? That he... His only begotten son, his one and only son. For what purpose? To be king? Eventually. But for what purpose here? On Palm Sunday when Jesus came and was proclaimed Messiah by the people. Why was he there? He was there to die. For the sins of the world. To pave the way. That men might respond to the gospel. Respond to the good news. And be saved. So Palm Sunday is all about Jesus being proclaimed as the way. The truth. Isn't it funny how that all fits together? How it all comes together. How it all begins to make sense. So on Palm Sunday, especially this Palm Sunday, we want to proclaim that Jesus is greater Not only is he the way, he's the only way. Not only is he the truth, he's the only truth. Not only is he the life, he's the only life. He's it. In fact, in Hebrews, when we began this study, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Long ago, and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his Son. See, God's revelation of himself is finished in Jesus Christ. Whatever God has to say, he said. When Jesus walked in on Palm Sunday and he stood in the temple area, God was saying his final words. Here's my son. Listen to him. Remember on the... On the temple of, or on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured before Peter, Andrew, James, and John? You remember? They're all standing there. They see him. What is it that God said? Peter starts talking. What does God say? Shh. That's my son. Listen to him. He has words of life. What do we pull from this? That God spoke. That God has delivered himself to us. He wants us to understand. He wants us to know him. Right? Otherwise, why talk? So God spoke. God spoke. How did he speak? Through the prophets. His typical normal way of speaking to the people was through a human mediator. Someone who received the word from God and then shared that word. I'm not saying it's the only way. I'm just saying it's the one he used most often. It's kind of like the idea of God loving the poor. Why do we say God loves the poor? He made a lot of them. Yeah? He made a lot of them. More often than not, how does God speak to us? Through through His prophets. His prophets bring the word. He spoke in many ways. The point of that is that God is not withdrawn, but communicative. God wants to talk to us. God wants to reveal Himself to us. He wants us to see Him. And know him. That's God's desire. 
So he in these last days, this final act, has spoken to us through his son. So hear him. Hear what Jesus is saying this Palm Sunday. Hear what Jesus is declaring this day. Hear what he has shown us, what he's telling us, what he describes to us in his word. Because as the men of old came to the scriptures and studied, Jesus said, you search the scriptures daily, looking for life. But it's these that speak of me. They tell you about me. So we want to hear that. We want to hear that which God has to deliver for us. So we're going to look at this concept of faith. So let me ask you, what is faith? What kind of life does it guarantee? Is faith that which guarantees us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise? Or is faith only going to guarantee us sorrow and suffering? We've already seen the transformative power of faith, right? It's, as it changes lives, as we've worked our way through this chapter, it changes lives, it does that, it changes them. When we've studied the incredible feats that can be done, when Jesus is our motivation, when He's our treasure, when He's that which is calling us, when we recognize He's my better possession and a more abiding one. But is that transformation a transformation that's Pleasurable or painful? Is it deliverance or death? The answer is yes. Might not have been what you wanted. Which way? Yes, which? Yes, period. Let's take a look at this section together. The first thing that I want you to gain as we look through these scriptures, the first point I guess I want you to see, through faith, God can and will work miracles. True or false? True. Through faith, God can and will work miracles. And acts of providence to bring about very practical help and deliverance to his people. He works miracles and acts of providence. Miracles and acts of providence. Let's look at it. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. I think this is a funny little verse. I think it's a funny little verse. Why is it a funny little verse? Well, you know, the, the greater minds have come together and decided that the Red Sea crossing wasn't really in the Red Sea. It was in the Reed Sea. And the Reed Sea is only like a foot deep sometimes when the wind blows really hard. It could be six inches deep. And so they just crossed there. There's no great miracle there. And I say, yes, there was. I don't care where you cross them. Either the, the Red Sea parted and they walked on dry land, or they walked across in six inches of water, and the whole army of Pharaoh drowned in six inches of water while trying to cross it. Either way you, you line it up, there is a miracle taking place. There's a miracle taking place. That's why I like that verse. We see miracles. Uh, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. 
What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped by the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. By faith, God does miracles to deliver His people. By faith, God works acts of providence to deliver His people. This is what we're looking at. Let's look at miracles first. God breaking into the normal way things occur, and He does something extraordinary, like the Red Sea parting, right? That's extraordinary. We're talking about a miracle. He makes the normal way things work, work differently. They don't work the same way anymore. So he divided the Red Sea, and they walked across on dry land. He brought down the walls of Jericho just from people walking around it. Now I know everybody wants to come up with some unique little idea. Well, while they were walking around, they're digging. No, they're not doing none of that stuff. Nothing they did was going to bring them walls down. Those walls came down because God said, walls come down. Why did Lazarus come out of the grave? Because God said, Lazarus come forth. God don't say it, then it don't happen. That's a miracle, guys, a miracle. The walls of Jericho fall down. What does that speak about? Okay, let's look at it. Dividing the Red Sea, uh, the walls of Jericho falling down. is all about defeating the undefeatable enemy. You ever face something so big... You just have no idea how you can get through. Well, what the book of Hebrews wants us to understand is that God is a God of miracles. That God does do miraculous things to deliver his people. How about shutting down the mouths of lions? Yeah, pretty crazy, you know? What would it be like to be Daniel thrown into the lion's den? Bunch of hungry lions. How do I know they're hungry? Because the next day when they take Daniel out, what happens? The king is irritated. The king's irritated because they tricked him into throwing Daniel, his friend, in the lion's den. If you ever trick a king who has ultimate power, and you think you just got away with it, you're in trouble. That's a bad, bad plan. I don't know what you're thinking. So if the king opened that up and Daniel's bones were in there, whose bones do you think we're going to be next? So the king opens it up, there's Daniel alive. Oh, Daniel, he pulls Daniel out, grabs the guys that, that, that made him, tricked him into putting him in there, and threw them in. The Bible says the lions ate them before they hit the ground. Those are hungry lions. What did God do? Delivered, right? God brings deliverance, man. He defeats the undefeatable. He preserved Daniel through, right? He's right there with him. And by a miracle, he gets him through the night. And the lions, they don't eat him. What about quenching the fire? Who's that? Rakshak and Benny, right? We got VeggieTale fans, no? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? See, Rakshak and Benny's easier. Rakshak and Benny, what, what happened? They get thrown into the fire. But what? By a miracle, God preserves them through the fire. The fire doesn't touch them. The fire doesn't burn them. They're fine in Nebuchadnezzar's furnace. And then finally, you have the resurrection of the son of the widow of Zarephath. 
What, what's he talking about? He's talking about the widows who received their young back to life again. That's, that's Elijah. He's, he's ministering. This woman's child dies. He goes before the Lord. God does a miracle, raises the dead. Raises the dead. She receives her son back to life again. The second thing, not only miracles in this section, but there's providence. So I want you to understand what I mean by providence. Providence is where God controls the situation and we see his fingerprints all over the situation and not necessarily through a miraculous parting of the Red Sea or a miraculous shedding of lions' mouths, but just through very natural means, God still delivers his people. That's providence. That's God's providence working. We see those fingerprints. By faith, we can see them. What's the first one? Rahab, not perishing. Rahab, remember, she saw the children of Israel coming. She decided that God was with them. There's not a miracle that takes place necessarily with Rahab. What happens is God delivers her. God takes care of her. God fulfills a promise to Rahab. She doesn't perish. We also see here an example of David conquering kingdoms. Now, there may or may not be miracles in different battles, but for the most part, it's just a battle. And God in his providence delivers the battle into the hands of David. Or many escape the sword. Elijah, when he comes in and he meets Jezebel, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow. Elijah just runs away. God delivers Elijah. Elijah runs away from the sword. How about through, through weakness made strong? Who's that talking about? Time would fail for me to tell you about Gideon. Oh, mighty man of valor, right? Hiding in a hole. Hiding in a hole when God found him. But God made him strong, right? God made him strong. Through his providence, God watches over Gideon and he delivers Gideon through that. Others, he says, puts armies to flight. It reminds me of Joab and Abishai. Joab and Abishai are two, two brothers that, that were part of David's mighty men. And they go into this battle and Joab says, okay, I'm going to take the guys on the right. And Abishai says, okay, I'm going to take the guys on the left. And then Joab says, if you need trouble, I'll come to you. And Abishai says, if I need trouble, I'll come to you. And he says, and if, the God, if God delivers them to us, we'll meet in the middle. Ready? Go. And they jump into the fight just like that. And the armies turn around and run. God's providence moving and working, delivering his people still. Delivering his people from harm, right? Delivering them. Carrying them through. No obvious miracles other than the fingerprints of God working as a result of faith. And all of this, miracles and the providence of God, the one, the two words it has in common, by faith, he parts the Red Sea. By faith, he delivered them from the sword. By faith, you had miracles. By faith, you had acts of the providence of God, God's handiwork, God's fingerprints in their lives. And by faith, they were all, they had this one thing in common, delivered from trouble. They're all delivered from death. This first group that we look at, they are all delivered. So remember the questions we asked in the beginning. This life of faith, what does it look like? Well, so then God wants us to live. He must want us to live because He delivers us from death. That's point number one. Point number two. God does not always do miracles. 
or acts of providence to deliver his people. God doesn't always do it. Sometimes by faith, God sustains us through it. And it all happens in verse 35. Man, in verse 35, it doesn't skip a beat. I stopped in the middle. You guys caught that, right? I stopped in the middle of the verse. Because otherwise, the second part of the verse has a little more to say, doesn't it? It says in verse 35, the second half, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again in a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and the caves of the earth. God doesn't always deliver. Sometimes people go through suffering. Sometimes people die. Here in the beginning we see suffering. They go they were tortured, tortured. Jeremiah probably one of my favorite prophets had a rugged life, man. Nobody ever liked him. Every king wanted to kill him. He followed the disobedient people of God until they stoned him. He stayed with them all the way to Egypt. The last word he delivered to the people, he said, If you go to Egypt, you're going to die. They said, Jeremiah, you never have nothing good to say. We're going to Egypt. So to Egypt they went. And in Egypt they died. And Jeremiah died with him. But Jeremiah was tortured. Jeremiah was mocked. Jeremiah was flogged. In Jeremiah 29, 26, it says, The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada the priest, to have charge in the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies, to put him in the stocks and neck irons. Yeah, back in those days, nobody was standing up saying, Lord, I want to be your prophet. If you prophesy, we're going to put you in chains. Jeremiah 37, 15, the officials were encouraged at Jeremiah and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary for it had been made a prison. Flogged, beaten. And Jeremiah 20, verse 7 and 8, Jeremiah speaking now says, O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You are stronger than I and you have prevailed. For I have become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. What's Jeremiah saying? Lord, man, you called me. You said, when I, was, when I came to you, you said, from the womb, you had called me a prophet of God. And Jeremiah said, I was excited about what that means. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to speak to the people for God. God's going to use me as an instrument to reach into people's lives. He said, and all that has ever got for me is pain. That's it. You tricked me, God. I thought it was going to be all good. 
But it hasn't been. There are mockings and floggings, chains and imprisonment. Jeremiah is even thrown into a prison that's just mud. He's chained and they stick him down in the mud and he just sinks in the mud. Some were stoned, scripture says. Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. We read about him in 2 Chronicles 24. It says this, Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. He stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you do not prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, He has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Speaking the truth, got him stoned. Dead in the courts of the temple. But Jackie, I like the way this message started, but I'm not really digging the way it's going right now. Maybe we can stop and turn around. Well, I thought when we came together, we said we wanted to worship the Lord in spirit and in... You mean life is not always easy? How many of you guys already know that? Right? So I'm not telling you something new. I'm just trying to let you know that the Word of God told us that too. The Word of God told us that these things would happen. Some, he says, were sawn in two. There is a... A uh, pseudopographical, that's a long word, so let me try to describe it. There's an apocryphal book called uh, um, The Martyrdom of Isaiah, which describes, it's not, it's not in the Bible, it's not scripture, it's just history. It's just a, a written history of what happened to Isaiah. But here's what it says about Isaiah. It says, he sawed him asunder with a wood saw. And when Isaiah was being sawn in sunder, Belchira stood up, accusing him. And all the false prophets stood up laughing and rejoicing because of Isaiah. And Belchira, with the aid of Mechumbechus, stood up before Isaiah, laughing and deriding. And Belchira said to Isaiah, Say, I have lied in all that I have spoken. And likewise, the way of Manasseh are good and right. And the ways of Belchira and his associates are good. And this he said to him when he began to be sawn in sunder. But Isaiah was not. Isaiah was absorbed in a, in a vision of the Lord. And though his eyes were open, he saw them not. Bechirah spake thus to Isaiah. Say what I say unto thee and I will turn their heart. And I will compel Manasseh and the princes of Judah and the people of all Jerusalem to reverence thee. And Isaiah answered and said, So far as I have utterance, I say, Damned and accursed be thou and all thy powers and all thy house, for thou canst not take from me anything but the skin of my body. And they seized and sawed in sunder Isaiah, the son of Amoz, with a wood saw. And Manasseh and Belchira and the false prophets and the princes of the people and all stood looking on. And to the prophets who were with him, he said, before he had been sawn asunder, Go ye to the region of Tyre and Sidon. For me only hath God mingled the cup. And when Isaiah was being sawn in sunder, he neither cried aloud nor wept, but his lips spake with the Holy Spirit until he was sawed in two.
What's it like to be so hated that it's not enough for somebody just to want to kill you, but they got to come up with a way that would make it more painful than anything you can possibly imagine? So they took Isaiah and they shoved him in between pieces of wood, bound up like in a... In, the picture is like a, in, inside a log, but they just put wood around him, strapped it in and cut the wood in two. Talking to him as they went. To some, God delivers through miracles and providence. To others, he does not. Sometimes they're sawn in two. Sometimes they're killed by the sword. The prophets and the school of the prophets, guys, in 1 Kings 18, 13. It says, has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in caves and fed them with bread and water? Jezebel went through with a sword and killed all the prophets in the school of the prophets. Just to get rid of the word of the Lord. Some he delivered in miracles and providence and some he didn't. Others were dressed in sheepskins and goatskins. That reminds me of Elijah and Elisha, right? You see Elijah, he's taken up in a, in a fiery uh, uh, chariot into heaven. And as Elisha's looking at him, I'm sure he's thinking, man, I want, I want double what he got. He got it. Double the power. Double the pain. Double the suffering. Elijah got snatched up into heaven. Elisha didn't go that way. He says others were destitute and afflicted, mistreated and homeless, right? Isn't that what he's describing? They didn't have a home. They didn't have a place. Now think, we've been going through Hebrews 11. And what do all these guys have in common? They're looking for a place that God made for them. A place where they belong. And the one thing they could all say is, this isn't it. That's not that place. This is not that place. But I don't want you to miss this little phrase. Of whom the world was not worthy. See, God saw him different than everybody else. Well, you remember the question in the beginning. I said earlier, well, so, the, so God wants us to live. But, but after reading this section, so God wants me to suffer? Which is it, Jackie? Does, does God want me to be delivered in miracles and providence, or does God want me to suffer? Yes. <laughs> Why? Really sorry I came on Palm Sunday right now. <laughs> but what I want you to see on those that God did not deliver, it said the same thing about them. It said, by faith, they suffered. In the same way, it said, by faith, they were delivered. Faith is evident with each. 
Which brings me to the third thing that I wanted to share out of this, and that is, faith is not the determining factor over whether you're delivered, whether there's a miracle, whether there's providence, or whether you suffer. Faith is not the factor. We want to worship God in spirit and in truth. We want to hear the words of Jesus on Palm Sunday. We want to hear what it is He has to say. Well, here's what He has to say. God decides. Who is delivered by miracles? Who is delivered through providence? And who suffers? You and I, in the reality of life and our existence here, we all have a road to walk, right? And is, are all our roads the same? Does everybody have the same experiences? Does everybody have the same level of suffering in their life? Does everybody have the same level of miracles in their life? No. No, we all have a different road to walk. We see that so clearly when Jesus looks into Peter who had denied him three times. You remember Peter, right? Denied three times that he even knew the Lord. The Lord comes to Peter and he's talking to Peter and he's sharing with him. He says, Peter, I know the desire of your heart is that your faith will be so strong one day that when you face that same opportunity to to deny me, you'll be strong enough to say no. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, I want you to know you will. He says, one day, men will take you where you don't want to go. And they'll stretch you out. And the scripture says in the Gospel of John, this Jesus spoke about the way he would die. Peter would die for the Lord. And the Lord is encouraging him because Peter's really depressed, thinking he didn't have enough faith. And so the Lord says, you have enough. You will have enough, Peter. You're going to make it. But then as they're walking, Peter starts thinking, well, I'm going to get crucified. What about John? (laughs) And the Lord said something so important. The Lord said something so important. He said, Peter, if I want John to live till I return, what's that got to do with you? Peter, you have your road to walk. Will you walk it? Will you follow me? Peter, John has his road to walk. And he'll have to follow me on his road. And God never said, look at everybody else's road and decide who's got the better road. No, if we're following Jesus, all Jesus says, come follow me. And that that path that he takes us on, the the path of faith and and, and the path of the doctrine and teaching, all that stuff's the same. But the reality of our experiences in life, that's all different. That's all different. And so God says, trust me that the road I gave for you to walk is the best road for you. And it'll glorify me. Both of those things are true. Now, sometimes I look at things in my life and I say, I don't really know, God, how that was the best thing. But, by faith, I trust you. You say, trust me. God's the one who decides. Now, some people will come and they'll say to you, if you had more faith, you'd see the miracle. If you had more faith you'll see God's providence move. But if you read Hebrews 11, that's not true. Are you seriously trying to tell me Jeremiah don't have no faith? Isaiah didn't have no faith? The way God used those guys? How about Elisha? He didn't have no faith? 
the miracles that God wrought and worked through their lives. Yet the truth, the reality is, by faith they were able to suffer because they had enough faith for endurance. Some, some need faith for deliverance. And some need faith for endurance. I don't know which one you are. I would imagine at multiple times in our lives, we need both. We need faith for deliverance and we need faith for endurance. We need both functioning in our life. Same word, same kind of faith. What are we saying? We want to trust in God. Guys, we want to put our faith in Him. Because whether you live by faith or you die by faith, God will take care of those who trust in Him. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Trust Him. The fourth thing that I want you to see out of this little section of Scripture that we're looking at. The common feature of faith that delivers and faith that endures is believing that God is better than what life can give right now or what death can take away. Just think about it for a minute. That common feature of the faith that delivers and the faith that endures, and we all need those, is believing that God is better than what life can give you now or what death can take from you later. Christ is better. Christ is better. When you can have it all, faith says God is better. When you lose it all, faith says God is better. This relationship, this Christ that I've come to love. See, it's all right there in verse 35. It says, women receive their dead by resurrection, but some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Why? So that they might rise again to a better life. They had a more enduring hope. They had a greater possession in Jesus Christ. Jesus was better than what anyone could take away. So in that moment of torture, does faith say, God, if you loved me more, you would take this away? Or does faith say, there's a better resurrection? There's a better life with Christ. Does faith say what Isaiah said as they saw him in two? All you can do is take my skin. What can you do to me, oh man? Faith believes there's a better resurrection. Better than the miracle of escape. That's why faith is in each camp. The camp of deliverance and the camp of endurance. The common denominator is faith and the common feature of that faith is Christ is better. Jesus 
is better. When Jesus stood on Palm Sunday on the Temple Mount, when he walked into the people singing songs and waving palm branches, what he was declaring is, my way is better. Come, follow me. Follow me. So whether God handles me tenderly or with torture, here are the things we know. Here are the things we know. I love him, and he is my reward. Hebrews eleven six. I love him, the builder of the city, the home where I belong. Hebrews 11.10 I love him. He's the treasure beyond the riches of Egypt. Hebrews eleven twenty six. I love him. For he's the possession that surpasses all others. And he abides forever. Hebrews ten thirty four. Folks, the f- purpose of preaching, of Sunday school, small group studies... Couple studies, men's studies, women's studies, the relationships that we can develop here in a community at Calvary Chapel Buell, the prayer gatherings, all the ministries we have going on outside or inside. This is our aim, our goal. To develop or cultivate an unshakable confidence that God is better than what life can give us or what death can take away. Jesus is better. By faith, He delivers. By faith, He causes us to endure. We have to know We have to understand that He is better because that's what keeps us upright. That's what puts us on a list just like this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Folks, I've had opportunity to see incredible things by the Spirit of God and people that have gone through incredible times of loss. But more often, I have seen people's faith derailed because they went through loss. And the only difference is the comprehension that Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He will carry us through. He's better than what life can give. He's better than what death can take. Last point. Looking in this section of scripture, I want you to be able to take and hold on to because this the, to me this is the nail this is the one that that makes it all make sense for me those who love God more than life are God's great gift to the world those who love God more than life are God's great gifts to the world. 
when the Lord is looking over this section of those who suffered. He says in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. What is he describing? He's saying these guys are a gift to the world and the world doesn't deserve them. They're a gift to them, but they, they're, they're not deserving. Why? Because when the precious children of God are permitted to suffer, when they're rejected and mistreated, when they go destitute or afflicted or ill-treated, God is giving a gift to the world. He's giving them an illustration in their life. Their life is screaming. God is better. God is better. God is better. And the hordes can stand around like they stood around Isaiah and laughed at him while he died. But what is Isaiah saying while he's dying there? While he's holding on to his faith? While he's looking for for the Lord? What is he saying? God is better. He's better. He's better. He's better. Sat in a hospital room one time with a beautiful lady. She was the same age as my mom. And my mom is like me. We have a tendency to be negative Nellies. I don't know if any of you have noticed that. And uh, this lady was for my mom the one who would get her to smile all the time. This lady was the polar opposite of my mom. Always happy, <coughs> always rejoicing. Sorry, Mom, I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, she, she's probably watching. Hi, Mom. Anyway, she, uh, I'm going to hear about that one later. <coughs> but she, she was able to bring out this, she just had this incredible joy. Great lady. She got stomach cancer. And they tried to do surgery, but when they opened her up, they found out it was much worse than they thought. And because they opened her up, they couldn't close her. So she lived out her days with her stomach cut open. Wouldn't heal because of the cancer. Until she died, she was that way. And because of her relationship with my mom, I, I wanted to go spend as much time with her as I could and be an encouragement, right? Because it's a hard thing to go through, no? So, so I get there, and she's not in the hospital no more. She's at home. Uh, you know, she has uh, visiting nurses and what have you coming in. And so I go into the room, and I, I go walking in. As soon as I walk in, the second I cross the threshold, before I can open my mouth and even say a word, she says, ah, oh, Jackie, glad you came. I want to pray for you. I'm like, you want to do what? Yeah, I, I want to pray for you. You've been on my heart. I want to pray for you. Can, can I pray for you? I, I can't get around so much anymore. I'm thankful that the Lord brought you to me so I could pray for you. Every time I went to see her, that's how it would start. She lived out her life. Shouting, God is better. 
And she was a gift. She was a gift for my faith. I pray that she can be a gift for yours. Because the one thing we can all count on in this life, at some point between now and the end, you're going to be disappointed with God's deliverance, providence, or the suffering that you've had to go through. And I pray when that happens, you remember the scripture that says, both groups live by faith. Both are marked by their trusting in the Lord. And one of them, they're a real gift to the world. A gift so, so blessed that the world's not worthy of them. And I think you and I, we can have some say in what group we find ourselves in. And maybe it'll change the way we look at the things we go through in life. Because, you know, some people, they want to say that there's no value in all those things that I went through in my life. All the struggles, all the disappointments, all the pain, all the heartache, the miracles, the deliverance. But I would say it all matters to God. It all matters to Him. God God has a purpose in it all. All of it. We may not be able to fully see it through eyes clouded with tears, but we can know that God has a purpose. And His word to us is, trust me, I don't always deliver. I don't always make you suffer. But I will always be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will carry you through. Jude 24 and 25 was my dad's favorite benediction. I like to go to it every once in a while when I close something that's difficult. This is what it says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling... He's talking about God. He's able. Able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory. But not just to present you. He's going to present you blameless with great joy on that day. Not only perfect before the Father, but He's excited to do so. He's joyous to give you, to, to, to walk with you in the presence of God. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, now, and forevermore. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have as we come before you, as we study your word, as we open it, Lord. We say we want to worship you in spirit and truth. So we come this Palm Sunday morning to remember that when you presented yourself to the world as Messiah, you did so to announce that you were going to die for us. That you were giving us the way, the truth, and the life. That you were empowering us to overcome this world, whether through miracles and providence, which God absolutely does, or whether through endurance in suffering and hardship. But as you do, Lord God, you declare that we are yours. That all of our experiences in this life matter to you. That you care about our victories. You care about the deliverance. You care about the providence. And you care about the tears. It all matters to you. It all has purpose. It all fits within uh, who you are, God. And we can, even with eyes that can't see, we can trust you. For you are worthy. For you, Lord God, you're better than life. You're better than whatever this life can give. And you are so much better than anything death can take away. God, I pray that as we go from this place, we know that you are better. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.